Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest in today's episode is Norman Jordan. He is the color commentator for Vanderbilt football. We will talk about the Commodores' 17-12 loss at Texas A&M. The Vandy Sports Podcast is presented by Jody Jones, DDS, trusted for his creative design and committed to both the function and aesthetics of your smile. Jody Jones provides a range of sought-after general and cosmetic dentistry services at his practice in Nashville. Jody has earned the title of number one in Nashville for cosmetic dentistry and provides a unique environment for patients who want his famous Hollywood smile or other services. Patients enjoy getting services from Dr. Jones and his attentive team in a spa-like atmosphere. Dr. Jones has worked with many athletes, movie stars, and celebrities over the years and is dedicated to providing first-rate service to all of his patients. Jody never compromises quality so patients can be confident they will always receive the highest level of care. Special thanks to Jody for being the title sponsor of this season. Our news is presented by our friends at Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in any type of accident, call Taylor or Russell at 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. Vanderbilt and LSU play on Saturday night at Vanderbilt Stadium. Kickoff time will be at 630 Central. Our guest line is presented by our friends at Bowling Branch. That was started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I had no clue how comfortable Bowling Branch sheets were until I got some for myself. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress which was voted the best mattress of 2018, go to BowlingBranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code VANDY and get $50 off your first set of sheets. Norman Jordan joins us again for the first time since last football season. Norman is the color commentator for the football team. We will talk about Vanderbilt's 17-12 loss at Texas A&M. Norman, thank you for joining us tonight. Hope you've been well. Doing great, Chris. Thanks for having me on. Let's talk about schemes, and let's start on the defensive side of the ball. What are you seeing different than you saw a year ago? Uh, Scheme-wise, you know, it's not anything superiorly – it's not crazy uh, new, but what he does is he puts a lot of pressure on the quarterback. He's a big pressure guy from what I could tell from the first game. Uh, Even when they were rushing three, they were getting pressure but uh, had a number of blitzes. And I think the biggest thing that stands out to me was uh, the way that he substituted. Now, he said he was going to do that, but I wasn't so sure how many people you could put in. And it paid off, uh, you know, simply because how many games have we seen halfway through the third quarter that they had their it didn't happen this game. I was thinking about 24 hours later, I don't remember the last time I saw a Vanderbilt defensive line play that well. And I got the pro football focus grades, which we will publish on the site later in the week. They go back and look at every snap and grade every player. 
And that really bored out. Uh, I thought both the ends, Andre Mintz and Dio Odingbo, played wonderfully. Uh, Davion Davis graded out really well. Uh, I liked the uh, junior college kid, Wilkins. I'd, I'd heard some good things about him, and I think he delivered. I just thought that that group really keyed their success all night. No, they did, and and you have to give the defensive backs credit because I, I you know, I couldn't tell you how I many they played. It probably uh, eight, ten defensive backs played. Well, usually you don't do that because you know you don't have the experience, and usually you don't do that because they pick on the one that they they know is going to be the weakest, and they just couldn't do it. So it, it was it was an interesting thing. You know, they said it's a three four defense. But I think we're in, in a 4-3 as much as we were at 3-4. So that you're going to see a lot of looks from this guy and Coach Roof. But I, Roof, but I think the thing that you're going to see mostly is, is the way he's going to bring a lot of pressure. He wants to keep that quarterback uncomfortable in the pocket. And you have a guy that's played as many games as Kellen Mond, and he's uncomfortable. Well, you're doing something right. Yeah, that's exactly what I saw in the limited opportunities I got to watch him in the spring. It looked just like what we saw. And I'm with you. I think there's, there's going to be a lot more 4-3. Let's talk offense. Uh, what did you make of the performance in College Station? Uh, you know, I'd give both sides of the ball a B. Uh, and, you know, they, I think they were smart. I think uh, Coach Fitch was smart to keep it relatively simple. Uh, they they looked like they ran plays that they knew how to execute, and that was a big plus. Uh, uh, Ken Seals, I thought, looked very good for a true freshman in there, and I, I did not know he was only the third true freshman in the SEC ever to start in his first game, start a season opener. So that was very interesting. You'd think there was a long line of them, but no, there's not. So I thought he looked good. He looked poised. I'm, you know, kind of glad. I think I said on the air, kind of glad we were playing in Texas because he looked like he was at home because he kind of was. What did you make of the two interceptions? I've heard different takes on those. What did you see as you watched those plays? As I watched it, it looked to me like, I, and I can't tell you exactly what I saw, but it's like he caught something out of the corner of his eye and he thought it was one of his guys because he wasn't within probably eight or 10 yards of the one guy on that side of the field. And it looked to me like he just, you know, glanced real quickly and and threw and threw straight to the free safety. So I I think it's just one of those things that happens where you you let your uh, instincts take over and, you know, he thought he had somebody coming open. Well, he did, but it was the free safety, unfortunately. Which, by the way, the guy was a really good football player. I think it was O'Neal, wasn't it? Yeah, that was the kid who made the pick. They've got a really good defense. I, I know that they don't have all the pieces, but that's a very talented team. No, it is. I mean, goodness, you're in Texas. I mean, they, they play a little bit of high school football there, and if you can't fill the team in Texas, uh, with just a tank of gas, you should be able to go and recruit 22 or whatever to, to come play for you. I mean, there's a lot of good football players out there. Look at Vanderbilt's roster. Look at the SEC's roster. They play good football out there. And, yeah, the defense, man, they, they hit. They they come at you and they hit and uh, they hustle. And you know, I thought it was a good A&M defense. Uh, I'd like to think the offense is, is as good as the defense, but um, – and I'd like to think our defense took them out of their game. I, I'm not sure what it is. Maybe they're not as good. You know, they didn't have 
a lot of receivers that, that had a lot of time. They'd lost their number one receiver from last year. I think Osman had 66 catches last year, if I remember correctly, five touchdowns, and he opts out. So, you know, that's a big loss to your team right there. Today's mailbag is sponsored by Vanderbilt fan Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood who can take care of all of your insurance needs. Call him today at 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at joshuamintonhq or at facebook.com forward slash jdmintonhq. He is my insurance agent. Give him a try and tell him you heard about his business on the podcast here. Dorking says, is it strange broadcasting the games from a distance? Yeah, that's a really good question, Dorking. But uh, it wasn't as strange as I thought it would be. I was kind of prepared for it to be something almost alien. But the, the view, the picture that we had, the feed that we had, was pretty much what you'd see from the press box, except a little bit better you know, as as I've gotten older, my eyes, believe it or not, are not as good as they once were. And it was actually pretty good. I, th- I think the only disadvantage we had was you can't see when a timeout's coming. You can't see the red hat step out on the field. So we had a miscue or two there. But uh, other than that, I mean, I found it a very easy way to, to do the ball games. And, you know, it's kind of enjoyable. And I, I told my wife when I got home about, I don't know what time, 1130 Not getting on the plane out in Texas. I'm glad to be here. Did you guys do that in the control room that I think is where they had the basketball press conferences maybe a dozen years ago? Yeah, it's in a control room. I don't know anything about anything. I know it's somewhere over there, but you know, I just walked in the hall, walked into the room, and, and sat down in front of a TV screen and put, mic, put a microphone on my head and said inane things for three and a half hours which is what i do best was it in memorial gym is that where it was or was it somewhere else uh yeah it's in memorial yeah that's the room i'm thinking of what was your setup like it, it was uh top quality I and mean, it was really good we had uh plenty of screens in front of us uh you know joe uh then me then kevin there and it you know it did work out really well and uh kirby sitting behind us as the engineer I, I thought it was uh, – I, I was pleasantly surprised and pleasantly pleased. Now, did you have the same view of the game that all of us had, or did they have specialized cameras and feeds that came to you guys in the studio that the rest of us did not get to see? We had the ESPN feed, but we did not get different camera angles. We just had basically – it looked to me like what little I know about uh, cameras looked to me like the one kind of toward the press box that you'd normally see where they're showing the whole game, but but no zero ends or anything like that. It was, uh, you know, just pretty much like you'd see it from the press box, unless you're in South Carolina, then they're in a totally different zip code. So you can barely see players look like ants in South Carolina. So you saw basically the same thing we saw. How hard was that? Because sometimes you can see some things in coverages things like that that you don't see on TV because sometimes you don't see all the players at once in the view. Was that a challenge at all? Uh, not really. That's what I, the first thing when they told us that, well, that's what we're going to do. That's the first worry I had. I said, Joe, you know, I, I'm not usually looking where the ball is. I'm usually 
zeroing in on some receiver over here. I see something over there and I want to watch it. And, but uh, they kept the, the full field, you know, as much as they could. Uh, you'd lose a guy going deep when they were kind of looking short. But uh, all in all, you know, you're going to lose that guy going deep if you're watching the short ball anyway. So all in all, I thought it was uh, pretty easy to do. Now, is that the plan for you guys? Are they keeping you at home for all the road games, or do you know yet? Uh, the decision's not been made yet. Um, you know, I think they feel comfortable that we can do that, but you know, it, it could also be that we wind up just getting in the car and going. Yeah, and I respect the team. I mean, they got to keep interlopers out, and we're certainly interlopers with them. So we can't travel with the team because they don't have us in a c- controlled environment. So you know, if uh, we may just wind up popping in the car and going to Lexington or wherever, you know, um, or we may wind up doing some more uh, just right there in front of the TV screen. The the toughest thing, from what I understand, I, I know very little about engineering. That's uh, what you get when you're a history major. You know nothing about engineering, but syncing up. Uh, the audio that we had and, and that went really well so uh that, that could be the, the one place where you really get in trouble if you know the, the radio's hearing the the official announce what it was before you've even seen what happened but uh they had it really synced up within a thousandth of a second i would imagine vu and georgia says do you think the offensive play calling will evolve as the season progresses and if so how Another good question. Uh, I, my experience so far with Coach Fitch is to just go back and look at some uh, some of his film from last year, and it looked like he he's got not a terribly thick playbook. Uh, it's and and I like that. I mean, I just don't like the idea of running a play that that you can't run perfectly eighty percent of the time. So I like that. Uh, you know, football is not as complex a game as, as we like to make it out to be. In most passing situations, it, you got two things. you got a long pass, you got a short pass, and a number of long passes, a number of short passes. Uh, if they take away the long, you go short. I mean, you just read whatever the defense is giving you. And uh, having watched uh, Coach Fitz from last year, they they really played a lot of controlled passing and used it to set up the run to keep the linebackers honest. If you're you know kind of pass happy, if you're doing like Mississippi State did Saturday, your linebackers aren't held in there at all. I mean they're they're playing pass first. But if you're you know at least doing a hand a fake handoff to your running back, the linebackers aren't getting out of there fast enough, and, and you can do a lot of things in behind them. So it, it's um, I like what I see so far. And I like the fact that, that we're executing. Well, I think the offensive line is going to dictate a lot of what they do, and I think it almost has to. No, I absolutely will. And I was, you know, frankly, pleasantly surprised. I thought they played well. Uh, they didn't dominate Texas A&M, but I didn't go into that game thinking in any form or fashion that they were going to dominate Texas A&M's defensive line. But I thought they did a good job. Uh, you know, they got the running backs loose enough to where they had to play the game honestly, and, and that's about all you can ask for. Uh, you know, if, if you're running the offense, you just want to make sure that you can do everything that, that you set out to do, and if you've got the linebackers 
not coming up there and you don't have the free safety coming up. Although I will say uh, they did, A&M did have that free safety. O'Neill was coming up. I don't know what he was reading, but he was seeing things and he was up with the linebackers by the time the ball was snapped sometimes. And I, I couldn't tell what he was reading, but he was really good. Yeah, I think with Seals, you know, I say the line will limit things, but he gets rid of the ball so quickly, makes decisions so quickly that that really helps him be able to do more things. I think if, man, God help him if they didn't have a quarterback who could read the field and get rid of the ball quickly because uh, it would really be ugly this year. Well, and that's where these guys from Texas get a leg up because they have these seven-on-seven leagues and they get out there and they they play year-round pretty much and, and they get out there and they, they do the passing and do the passing and do the passing and you get to see a lot of routes. You get to see a, a lot of who can make the throw where. And so I think Seals came in into this game a little bit ahead of everybody else, but I still think it, it came down to uh, I, I think he had the team. I think the the offense was behind him. I really felt like uh, if you watched him in the huddle, he had a lot of confidence after his first interception. Uh, that I remember seeing on sidelines, and he was kind of smiling, grinning. You know, he wasn't joking, but he he, he wasn't down. And you like to see that in a quarterback because if your quarterback gets down, your whole offense is going down. Yeah, he's a a really really confident kid. And the stat about three quarterbacks taking snaps the first game as true freshman in the history of the SEC, at least since they let freshmen play, I think it was in 1972. I mean, it was surprising. And I know that, I guess for the reason that you said too, because quarterbacks are a lot more advanced. Most high schools just forever just ran the ball mostly and quarterbacks, you didn't see what they can do. The game has changed so much with the advent of seven-on-sevens, and I guarantee you the next 40-something years, there will be more than three true freshmen to make starts in this league. Oh, absolutely. I, you know, these guys are coming out of high school. The most juniors in college. You know, they, they're really students of the game. The game certainly changed. And frankly, it's changed to what we used to do. Uh, so it kind of makes me feel like, uh, you know, what we were doing was way ahead of its time. And, uh, you know, besides the RPO, that, what the routes they run and the reads are all the same that we were doing 40 years ago. This last question comes in from Ann Arbor Door. It says, Norman has commented in prior podcasts about the need for a former athlete organization at Vanderbilt. Are you involved in the Black and Gold Club? And what are your thoughts on that organization? Uh, I know they've, they've tried to get the Letterman uh, back together. They had a, a Zoom call, uh, I think it was right before the season started, maybe the week before uh, the first game. Uh, and I didn't get a chance to get on the call. I'd, I'd like to be involved with it. But, you know, honestly, I don't have time to, not because of work, but because on, on game days, which is the feature day that they try to get everybody in, I'm, I'm preoccupied. So, you know, sometimes we'll do the games, do the pregame outside where they have meals for the for the ex-players, and I get to see a lot of old teammates and people I've known down through the years, and that's wonderful, but I can't go over and sit down and eat with them and all that. So, you know, I'm kind of limited on how much I can do that. But, yeah, I think that's, that's really necessary uh, to get your former players involved and, and make these guys that come in here feel like, 
I know I felt like when we played that, that, you know, I knew a lot of the former players and I felt like we had their backing and it meant a lot to me. Uh, so I'd, I'd like to see that get going again and, and get real active and, you know, have these guys know that they're people that were here before and, you know, that did all right, not only, you know, on the field, but after they got out of school that they went on and had a good career and kind of made something of themselves. I still say that's one of the best recruiting things Vanderbilt could do is say, you know, not so much here's how many players we have in the pros, but here's what our guys are doing now. Here's what the non-pros are doing. And, you know, there are a lot of very successful people that have played football there. Norman, appreciate your time tonight. Was there anything in the podcast worth mentioning in terms of the game or how this plays out going forward that you thought was worth a discussion that we didn't get into? Uh, yeah, I think the one thing I, I would like to point out, and I think I may have said it on the air, but I, I think it bears repeating. I felt like uh, during the ball game, I, I felt like it was almost like a tennis match where A&M would you know, win a, win a game and go up by two games. And a lot of times we've seen Vanderbilt in the past where they went, oh, yeah, they're, they're going to pull away from us. I thought these guys really hung in there and fought hard and, you know, the, it was a game the whole time. I mean, they really stayed after it, and they answered the bell when they had to. There were numerous times during the broadcast, I'd turn to Joe when we're at, on a commercial break and say, they don't have to score here, but they got to get a couple of three first downs, and, and they would go and do it. So I, I was proud of them for that, and I think they played hard. And I, I like having these uh, guys that are as old or older than me as, as coordinators. <laughs> They've still got a lot in the tank, so it's it's good to have them. Well, the thing I felt as I watched it, because everybody knew that A&M was a 30-and-a-half-point favorite. I think none of us really thought Vanderbilt would keep it close. And they come out of halftime, and if you had seen Jimbo Fisher at half, which I'm guessing you did since you were watching the same stuff we were, he was very agitated about the way his team played in the first half and was not very shy about letting the reporter know about that. So I thought, okay, here they go. He's going to give them a tongue lashing at halftime. They're going to wake up and come out in the second half. It's going to be different. And sure enough. Right, breathing fire, yeah. Right, and sure enough, the first play, they rip off a 58-yard run and I think get a touchdown later in the drive. And I just thought, well, here it goes, right? Fun first half, but welcome to reality. It told me a lot about them that, that moment didn't really go much further than that one drive, and maybe that's something that does bear well for this team. Yeah, it really does. I, th- I think it does. It, you know, uh, what they say, uh, you know, a lot of this game is mental, and it's staying in it and believing you're in it. So, but the thing that really surprised me, I, I'll say this, that A&M did, you know, you look at their starting tailback, Spiller, he's well, only 220. 227. When I came into the game, we're going to get a steady dose of spiller, and about the third quarter, our guys are going to be empty in the tank, and this guy's going to be running over us like crazy, you know, like Eddie George used to do, or like a certain running back for the Titans does right now. But no, I mean, they didn't use him much at first half. Two carries for five yards, as I remember. And, you know, they certainly had those special teams uh, mess-ups that hurt them. But 
I really thought we'd see Spiller and, and a lot of Spiller, and he'd go for 180 yards or so, but uh, they didn't do it till the second half. Norman, you and I on this podcast this year, because I'm going to do five of these a week, and it kind of gets repetitive because every week we're talking about the game that had played and the game that's ahead, and you do five guests, and you tend to hit the same topics again and again. Uh, to come up with content, even if you don't mean to. Uh, the thing that you and I talked about, and I'm excited to do this year, I wanted to let the audience know, is we will spend most of our time talking about the X's and O's and the schemes and things that you as a former player can explain in detail. So I thought this was a good time to let the audience know that. Uh, again, appreciate your participation in our show for the last several years. Uh, thank you. It's good to have you back, and have a great week. You and I will talk again when Vanderbilt has played LSU uh, by the next time we talk. So thanks for joining us. Thank you, Chris. He is Norman Jordan. I'm Chris Lee, host of the Vandy Sports Podcast. We appreciate you listening. We should have three more episodes coming later this week, so be sure and stay tuned in to get those.